Welcome back to a brand new episode of Carried Interest, Building Wealth Through Knowledge and Network. This is episode 12, yes, already episode 12. And on this special episode, we have Jonathan Gertman, Vice President of NRP Group, who's come on to talk to us about everything from large-scale developments to tax credits, affordable housing. John's solely been responsible for helping opening up the NRP's development group up in New York City. I think there's a lot of key and valuable information that we could take into our own daily investing, whether it be single family to four units or large-scale developments. We're excited to have you listen. Tune in, sit back, take a seat, and enjoy. Excellent. So uh, we're excited, you know, today, tonight, you know, it's about, what is it? It's, it's Thursday night. We've got Jonathan Gertman with us. Jonathan uh, has been leading the NRP Group's New York City office, originating and overseeing market rate and affordable development. That's across New York. That's across Connecticut. Um, previously, he was out in San Antonio with the NRP Group and worked head on in developing 900 units of affordable housing and tax credit developments. Uh, most recently was a part of I believe 300 units on three separate five-story buildings in White Plains. NRP groups involved in a 130-unit redevelopment in Jersey City. Uh, and you even executed a deal that led to a brand new Boys and Girls Club, I believe, being uh, built for a new community in Westchester County, New York. Uh, and that's all been through the growth of what you do is development in the affordable housing world using tax credits. So we're really excited to have you on. You're probably going to be one of the more unique guests because you're the only person uh, in this specific field that we've so far been able to speak with. So thanks for coming on. We'd love to hear more about who you are and why you chose this route and how you've gotten here. Uh, it's a pleasure and thanks for having me. Um, you know, I, I got introduced to the field at a, at a pretty early age um, through a, a family friend back in back in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and, and I could go happy to go into as much detail as you want, but really through a sort of a happy accident of circumstances and really you know mentors who were you know willing to invest in me and teach me um sort of one thing led to another through uh program in college and internships and then as you mentioned this opportunity in san antonio which was a place i'd never imagined going but ended up being sort of the the circuitous route that ended up being the faster path if you will because i was able to uh, be in a sort of much less competitive, much less crowded market with somebody who was very active and, and willing to sort of throw me in and let me make mistakes. Um, so that led to my eventually coming back East Coast to New York with Forest City, um, worked for about five years developing in the in the region. And then when NRP went through a really exciting um, recapitalization um, and, and they wanted to continue their history of growth, they approached me about opening a New York, greater New York office, which was a really exciting opportunity to be entrepreneurial, um, sort of run sort of my own, almost my own business in a way, but with the backing of this, you know, big experienced um, shop behind us. And it's been a, it's been a good ride. That, that's incredible. And for people out there who don't um, really understand what it is you do, a lot of people just listen to this and they know multifamily syndication and flip buy and hold what what is it that you actually do in the development world and why is it so unique when it comes to tax credits what are they how's it beneficial to local communities sure yeah I, mean, I, I didn't know what it was either for a long time um, <laughs> uh, and then it was after I got my job um, no I mean I'm, 
my 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 our job my role within the company and our job as a company is to you know find opportunities to build apart rental apartments and we i started in the affordable housing world the tax credit world which is a really fascinating um, way of achieving public policy goals through the private you know investment market um and i, I think we'll probably go into some detail on that and then we also do um market rate, you know, free market housing, and of course, a combination of the two. And more and more, you see those two blending together, which is for us is an exciting, um, exciting sort of pathway for the industry, because we have that background. Um, and we're not afraid of that complication. Um, but at a sort of core level, I go out, I find starts with a land opportunity, it can be a, a public uh, RFP request for proposals, it can be a private seller, we try to come to terms on buying their land, buying their property. And then it's really about um, our interaction with the public bodies in the community. Uh, most of our work is outside of New York City, which means pretty much nothing is as of right. Everything requires some kind of approval by an elected official. Um, and that means we're you know, really the, our, the government at some level, local, county, state is our partner. Um, and finding even on the market side and finding the balance of um, what's economically you know, attractive for us and what's interesting and feasible um, for the town for the community is is where i spend a lot of my time are, are the majority of uh, these development projects or all of them um, being i guess facilitated through tax credits and if so like what does that process look like uh, no, so both. So you know, we do, we like to say we're at the high end of the market rate and the high end of the affordable housing business or workforce housing business. So we, um, and we're a builder and, and property manager as well in our field. So we're sort of on all, all three of those major stools of the development, development, construction, math, property management. You know, we, we, we broke ground on 3,600 units nationally in 2020 and about half of those were just free market, um, private equity you know lp investors alongside of us and debt and half of those involve some sort of uh, tax credit financing so the the tax credits and and that's been a really you know for us just been a great way to sort of balance the portfolio and be able to do do work through any economic cycle um which just you know been great for me um so the the tax credits should, should I talk about the tax credits? Yeah, yeah, no, I'd love to hear about that and, and how that kind of leads into affordable housing, why that's important and yeah. just how tax credits benefit you, but also the communities. Sure. So affordable housing at its core, and it's called a lot of different things, workforce housing, uh, low-income housing, uh, depending on who you're talking to, and it, and it can mean all those different things. But at its core, affordable housing is um, housing that is, where the rent is regulated to stay below a certain amount, dollar amount. And what that means is, you know, the typical real estate goal structure is you wanna build something that's worth a dollar, that when it's built, it, it builds something that costs a dollar, that when it's built has a value of more than a dollar, a dollar 20, a dollar 50, a dollar 10, whatever your metric is, right? You're, you want your value your, of that of that development of that cash flow to be worth more than the cost. And when you restrict 
those rents, your fundamental problem is that the economic value of the cash flow, because those rents are limited, will be less than the cost of the of the deconstruction of the development, um, and that creates a, a gap, a, fun, a financing gap, where the private investors won't, um, you know, won't invest in something that has an economic value less than the cost, less than the investment. Mm-hmm. So. Um, over the decades, there's always been some sort of affordable housing in America, affordable housing programs, whether it was direct cash payments to builders, uh, whether it was government directly built housing. Um, but the by far the most efficient and um, effective affordable housing program in this country is the low-income housing tax credit. And it was created in 1986 as part of the... Um, you know, tax reform act, you know, which were between, you know, Tip O'Neill, the, the Democratic Speaker of the House and and President Reagan and this great, you know, fabled econ- uh, uh, bipartisan package. And they said was what they the reason is so effective is they they divorced the investor return from the performance of the real estate. And that was the monumental shift. So the buyers of tax credits. So people, you think of a tax credit, it's not that I, the developer, am getting some kind of tax break. It's that my my investor, our investor in these tax credit deals are corporations that have tax liabilities that um, are getting a, a break on their federal income taxes by investing in these credits. And so they don't really care about the the, the cash the, the cash flow of the real estate um, is is irrelevant to them. What matters is that I we the developer are going to do what we said we we're going to do because otherwise they risk losing those credits. So what matters to them is that we're going to build a project that we're going to lease it, we're going to rent it at the levels we said we would, and that we're going to be in compliance with that with that. Um, with the agreement, the regulations that the government puts on us, and that's state, local, federal, uh, for at least 15 years, and it's a, and they collect over 10 years, so there's some tail risk to them as well. So, so what that does is it it forces that the, the private market to to choose and to weed out um, bad actors and to put the investment with um, quality companies because if we don't do what we're going to say we're going to do, then they all of a sudden become at risk on the real estate, which they don't want. Um, and it provides equity to these projects that isn't dependent on the cash flow. And I can, I can give an example. I, I don't know if that's happening yeah, I mean, more, but I'll pause there. No, if you've got a project, that'd be great, but it makes sense. You're basically unlocking liquidity to, you know, projects that otherwise wouldn't have it because there aren't returns there to your regular debt funds, investors, whatever it may be. Um, so, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, do you have a specific project that you well, guys recently did? Yeah. Well, this one, in, so, so, um, on Wednesday, we're going to close on a project in Irvington, New Jersey, you know, which is a really, um, great community that does not attract the, you know, private capital that others, other areas with higher incomes and higher, um, you know, rents, uh, would, and we're going to build this, you know, great building and, our investor is um, is a bank, and the bank is going to provide us the equity about about fifteen million dollars of of equity, which which re- represents maybe seventy five percent of the capital stack, right? Which is 
which is sort of an inversion as well. Usually you'd have 75% debt, 25% equity. The project can't, can only support 25% debt and we will have a, a regular loan and this bank will provide the equity. And so they will, um, so let's say for example, it's, it's Bank of America, it's not. So I can, I'm just using an example. You know, <laughs> Bank of America has a, every year has a, though Bank of America is a great investor in, in uh, housing development. Um, you know, in case of America listen, has, case a, <laughs> has an annual, you know, no shade on the event. Um, Bank of America has, a, has an annual, you know, has a predictable tax liability to the federal government. Um, so basically, you know, for, for 10 years, they're going to get a dollar for dollar reduction in their tax liability by, for the federal government by investing at 92 cents on the dollar in our project. And that eight cent VIG, you know, they plug it into an IRR and they get some depreciation benefits, et cetera. Um, and they'll say, well, this is a 6% return to us. Um, and it's, you know, it's part of our mission and we're doing, you know, doing well by doing good and we're getting CRA credits and all these different things. But basically there's, it's an, they're getting an economic return on a net present value from the equity versus, um, the tax benefits that they get, and I see you. I see you yawning, Nate. So we'll move off of uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll move off of tax credits. <laughs> yes, yeah, you're you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a Cohen Resnick guy. So this is like, uh, this <laughs> oh is yeah, you're, you're speaking you know. my language. There you go. No, you, you weren't. So there was something that she said earlier that that kind of stuck out with me, and it, it led to another thought. So you mentioned Please. in the last year, you guys had developed. 3000 or, or something units. And, yeah. and one of the things I was thinking about is as material costs have gone up significantly the last year, how has that affected like this business as a whole? Cause I mean, you think about, so, so like I'm in the multifamily space, the, the rising costs of material has a significant impact on pro formas and budgets and, and things like that. I'm just really curious to hear like the effect that sure. it's had in your space. Yeah, it's it's been really problematic. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, on the affordable side, there have been some actually some nice um, sort of improvements to some of the those incentives um, through some of the you know the acts that have happened over the last year in terms of tax taxes and um, stimulus. You know, through through the stimulus packages that have helped the affordable housing. Uh, business, which you know tends to happen, right? When when there's an economic downturn, um, you know people focus on stimulating economic activity. They focus on, um, especially in this environment where we're so focused on, you know, who has been our essential, you know, people and workers over the last year, and really have, I think, rightfully expanded the definition of um, who is essential, right? And we think of cops and firefighters, and they are, of course. Um, but more than ever, you know, not just teachers, but you know, the guy uh, at the deli counter on the corner that's coming to work every day. Um, I think there's a real societal appreciation for, for that person or, or gal, um, which is which is good and hopefully long lasting. And on the market rate side, it's been a challenge. I mean, we're, we're fighting that every day. Um, I give our construction team a lot of credit um, because of our size, because of our predictable buying. We've been able to, you know, really we've expanded supply chains. Um, I would say one of the one of the unintended uh, positive consequences of you know so the the trade 
um, drama, let's say, with China over the last three or four years has been that it really forced us to um, expand our supply chain. So whereas, you know, so, the, so I don't have an exact number, but the, you know, the percentage of material coming out of China, for us at least, is down drastically from four or five years ago. And we're, we're getting, you know, cabinets from Korea, and we're getting wood from Brazil, and it really broadened the net, uh, which, which has been really helpful. Uh, but we're, but but the bottom line is we're seeing we're seeing costs rise in our projects and um, the saving grace for us who are very active in more suburban areas has been um, the you know I strongly believe temporary uh, flight to um, the suburbs you know has has certainly helped and rents held steady at the same time that the capital markets have really boiled. The whole industry, and that's for affordable and, and market where you just have, um, you know, cap rates that continually have compressed, you know, for ten years straight. Um, I mean that that makes up a lot of that value creation um, when you're trying to make a project pencil, and it's been a really positive, you know, surprise for us just year after year. Um, you know, there's also a, a lag effect, so there, you know, anything that was under construction in 22, sorry, in 2020, basically been bought out. Um, so sometimes you had to, you know, make sure your suppliers and your subs were honoring their pricing. Um, stuff we're buying now for projects that are under construction that we're coming out of the ground on, it's it's a fight, and we're we're seeing escalation. And some of that obviously was built in, and some of it we're we're just you know working contingencies and trying to find savings elsewhere. And you know we're we've gotten we've done some really sophisticated things in terms of. Um, the the um, uh, material markets, you know, swaps and futures and things like that as a as hedge, um, and the, and we're you know really trying to be uh, keep our eye on what's happening. You know, as we look at the pipeline, there is a certain amount of um, faith being built into our pricing that this is a supply demand mismatch, um, and that the supply will come back over the next six months. Um, and there's a certain level of risk, you know, added risk to our pre-development activities that are happening now. Where we're going, you know, we're going forward on projects, assuming uh, more, not 100%, it will return, but but assuming some stabilization. Uh, so it's a it's a risk item that continues, you know, will continue into 22 if we don't see that. And and that's where I think, you know, Nate, you'll you, you could see projects really not not going forward if there's not normalization in the next six months. I mean, you'll, you know, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to the, to the, to the closing table in the first, second, you know, quarter of 2022. And if things haven't stabilized, um, budgets aren't going to work. So Jonathan, can you talk a little bit about the exit strategy for um, the low income projects? Cause you've got the 15 year compliance and depending on the state uh, you're either able to convert it to a market rate property or, um, you know, reissue and, and, uh, double down on the affordable side. So what has your strategy been on, on the exit for those properties? Sure. And, that, and that's been an evolution for us as well. I mean, we always assumed that, um, you know, we have, yes, Jesse, you're mentioning the 15-year compliance. You know, very few of our deals, that maybe ones from the early 2000s, have only 15-year compliance periods. Over the last decade, you know, the, the municipalities are, and states are, you know, being strategic and 
um, as these projects have become more and more competitive, they're at, they're you know asking for commitments from developers for 30, 40, 50 year uh, what we call regulatory agreements, which is you know, keeping the projects affordable. So we we had sort of expected that we were gonna have this uh, as our portfolio starts to age a little bit. Some of these bigger, especially these, these bond deals, which are two, three hundred units age, we were starting to look at um, you know how do we create a rehab program? How do we you know refurbish these units, improve them internally, and you know versus what we're used to, which is the new construction piece. And we're sort of well underway on that. And lo and behold, um, we're arriving in you know in the early in the late teens and and you know 2020 and the investor appetite for workforce housing even with the regulatory agreements is um is tremendous and so we have been you know sellers of of some of the affordable housing we own and operate over twenty thousand units uh so it's a case-by-case basis um but you know these are folks who are coming in nothing nefarious or negative they're saying we understand the long-term uh, rent regulations. We're willing to invest in the property. We, you know, we understand it. Um, but but are are they because they're buying a stabilized property are able to bring private equity um, capital to these projects and purchase them on a um, on a, on a in, in a market on a market basis. Um, and that's been a really fascinating um, evolution. <laughs> that's a, that's your dog. what's your dog's name uh babka you're going babka, babka in the background yeah yeah <laughs> of course ill time like everything uh, so that's been a really fascinating change and you know we're we're happy to you know on, again on case-by-case basis where people are gonna you know respect the the commitments that we made previously happy to do that and have that new capital come into these um affordable housing developments Tom, I think a, a lot of what you said, I mean, it is obviously very high level, like NRP operates at a different level than your local developer, um, who is also seeing some similar issues in terms of cost and a lot of senses regulatory changes, but they just can't operate at scale the way you guys do. And I really would love to boil it back down. If, if you could go back and think to 2016, when you were basically pushed and said, hey, let's go start a new office we need you to head this, we need you to lead this. Opening up that new office, how did you, what was your strategy? What were the actions that you took in finding new land deals um, and not just acquiring them, but that pre-acquisition phase, gaining control of land, what type of due diligence, what, how did you, how did you get a deal together in a brand new um, territory that you guys had yet to, you know, you haven't been in yet, right? I think that would help a lot of developers and investors out there looking to do the same. Sure, and Zach, I mean, you and I have spent a, a lot of time talking about this, totally. um, and I appreciate it. I mean, I think at a certain level, we're just we're not no big developers really that all. The, I mean, with a few exceptions, I mean, we're like everybody else, right? We're we're trying to allocate capital smartly. We're trying to put you know deals that we think could make sense under control. And then work through the pre-development process, and you know manage risk, manage construction costs, um, manage approvals process, while you know having maintaining site control. Um, the difference when you're sitting in my seat is uh, one is like you know can collect a paycheck while I'm doing that, and I, I don't underestimate the 
how valuable that is because right you're 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 not worrying about um you know how am i gonna you know feed the dog this month yeah um and you know and we have these what you know what separates us is we have these great processes we have this great internal brain power um, we have, you know, great people who, you know, we're able to recruit, uh, you know, who are best in the industry, um, you know, who want to work on big, interesting projects. Um, and of course, access to capital, right, which is all baked into this. Um, and we can talk about that because I think, I think capital is a, is a, I think deal capital is a, invest, is a barrier for folks, especially, you know, is a, is a psychological yeah. barrier for folks. And I think, you know, maybe it's just uh, the age we're living in, but um, I've mm-hmm. just found that, you know, capital is there. Capital wants to be in, um, you know, good deals. And, you know, whether it's a million dollars or a hundred million dollars, um, it's really just a matter of finding the right folks and the right partners and the right structure who can get that capital comfortable um, if you as an individual can. And that's, it, you know, people want to be in good deals. Um but to answer your question, yeah. you know, yes, I had been in the region. I had a familiarity with it. NRP, uh, even though we were large in 2016, was relatively unknown. Um, and so it all, to me, comes back to relationships. And um, every deal we've done so far in the region is based on a relationship. Um, and I think every deal, I'm just trying to think, has been a joint venture of some kind. And that has been our key to success in the market. Um, and that, you know, comes with headaches, right? Partners have opinions, um, and partners might have a different way of looking at something or doing something. Um, but you know, for me, that's been how we've been able to really differentiate ourselves where we have a value proposition of, you know, we have investment capital to take some of that upfront risk. We can help you get through the entitlements. We have expertise. We're going to design a building that's buildable and financeable, um, you know, you, the partner, may have a great local relationship with the municipality. You may own land uh, that you can hold on to while we're in that redevelopment process, that you can monetize, that you can, you know, both take out cash at closing and have an investment stake. We can be flexible and, and make things work for you. Um, and there's always some, you know, there, there may, they're not, it's not always smooth sailing, but generally, if, you know, if, if you have, if you're aligned and interests and, um, find some cultural alignment and you make it work. Um, and that's really been, I mean, just relationships. I, I, I say, I always say, you know, real estate like is a relationship business. Um, so that's been the key to us. And then, um, you know, as obviously as we're in the market, we start to get calls and solicitations um, from the broker community, which is so important um, and opportunities start to come our way. But even so, I mean, we're, we find, you know, I have found that the partnership model, um, works for us, for this team. My colleagues in other parts of the country operate differently. Um, but I think especially in the greater New York area where you have such a sophisticated, um, such sophisticated sellers, uh, owners, and um, such a high barrier to entry market, people are particularly sensitive uh, to, you know, to not, let go of, of their property. They want to stay in. They want to um, participate in what they believe will be value creation, which we also obviously believe. Um, and we've been able to make that work. And that's, you know, it makes it kind of fun. It, it makes it very fun. Um, I, I mean, even like on, on a 
whatever scale you're at, it makes it very fun. And that's how, I mean, I've been doing everything I'm doing through partnerships on, you know, single family flips or like a new construction. So everything you're saying, you boil it down into every single piece of real estate. Um, but, but I'm curious because like you have a very, NRP does a very unique thing, which is you're going and you're getting entitlements, variances approved, um, nothing's by right. So you have to get these approvals done. So if you could think back to 2016, let's say the first deal where it was not by right, you had to get variances approved. Sure. What is that process in, you know, I mean, you're, you get the land and what do you have to do? Once you find that piece of land, what do you have to do before closing to make sure like this is going to work? Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, it starts with the, you know, it starts with the diligence process and, um, you know, diligence and the environmental and the, and the you know, zoning and the title issues and geotechnical. And we do that. We're a very robust process. I mean, we really spend the money to know what the hurdles are going to be. And a lot of that comes out of our, we have a construction company as well, a very build, you know, builder focused um, culture. And then, I mean, every municipality is different. Every state is different. You know, even crossing the Hudson, uh, Westchester is, very different from New Jersey because Westchester, Long Island, they're subject to uh, the, what we call CEQA, the State Environmental Quality Review Act, um, which basically, you know, it's, it's, it's New York and California, and it's basically made to have developers fail. Um, <laughs> so again, I mean, you know, there's every process different. Um, we've started, I've started to shy away from rezonings as um, we're able to sort of fill the pipeline. It's a, it's a kind of a risk reward aspect. Um, and a lot of communities are, we have a much more proactive planning infrastructure across the region than we did 10 years ago, even or really this five, six years ago, when you see places like Jersey City, New Rochelle, um, in Westchester, White Plains, Yonkers, uh, Mount Vernon now, and places on Long Island that you never would have imagined um, saying, you know, we, we want development. We understand that rental housing in particular is not a bad word anymore. Um, we want a revitalization and we want to, um, you know, we're going to take our, our destiny into our own hands and sort of lead, you know, lay the groundwork for development. And I love that. I mean, that's to me, I always say, you know, tell me if you can give a developer any certainty that is, you know, and let the market sort of do its thing. Um, that's the key to success. And, you know, tell me the, tell me the rules of the road and we'll, and I'll follow them and we'll figure out how to execute it on them at a very high level. But it's when you have uncertainty, uh, through the development process, that you're really increasing the risk. Um, and it's been a real sea change across the region. And I think it's awesome. Mm. Um, it doesn't come without its challenges. You still need community buy-in. You still always need some sort of approval. Um, but the, you know, the, the drag down, you know, the knockdown, drag out fights, you know, zoning fights of yore um, are fewer and further between than they used to be. And that's really positive. You see other things happening now where you have affordability restrictions, uh, you know, labor becomes an issue, like different things that come up, but, it, you know, you tend to have more um, insight into what's happening in the market. And there's some amazing things happening, mm -hmm. um, which is really, really good. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but um, that's sort of see the landscape. So 2016, you know, the first deal we did was in Jersey City. Um, that deal had zoning. Our partners and the landowners had taken it through zoning. We um, and had gone through a robust community process. 
we felt that um, they actually had 159 units approved. Uh, we wanted to take it down ultimately to 131, uh, which is kind of an unusual uh, direction to go in terms of unit count. But we felt that um, you know they had really uh, maximized on unit count, and that we actually could get to a better you know, income uh, through a, a, a mix of small, fewer but uh, bigger and, and we thought better units. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we went through that, you know, they, they allowed us to go through that process. They understood it. Um, you know, we mitigated risk there um, before we were able to do it. Um, we're going through a, a rezone right now in the town of Harrison uh, in Westchester. And there's some risk associated with that. We think we've mitigated by doing a really, uh, you know, above and beyond building. Um, we're doing some, you know, ecological restoration. We're really doing some fascinating, I think, uh, innovative energy uh, things and, you know, in terms of the building itself. And we were in a community that has a history of, um, you know, positive, you know, positive reception for development. But, uh, you know, we're two years in and we're significant dollars out and we have, um, we have, you know, we have several, uh, we have steps to go. And to me, you know, anytime there's an elected body that has to vote on something or an appointed body that has to vote on something that, that you need to go forward, you are, you know, you're fully at risk. Um, and that's, you know, you try to mitigate that, but that's, that's the hard, to me, that's one of the hardest parts of the job is just you're, when you get in, and you're, the dollars are out there. Um, that's, those are the things that cause me to lose sleep at night because you're just, you're at risk. So looking forward over the next few years, I know you mentioned uh, the 3,600 units in 2020 that, that broke ground. Um, what's your goal moving forward? Is it, is it uh, a certain number of units to break ground? Is it a certain number um, of units that you guys are, you know, permitting or entitling? Um, what, what are the goals for, for you personally and your firm? Sure. Uh, you know, the, the company, you know, we're very growth oriented. Um, it really comes from our CEO on an ethos of if you want to, you know, his ethos being if you want to hire and uh, retain the best people, you need to give them growth opportunities. Um, and that's kind of what drives that. And I think just, you know, just the love of the business. Um, so for me in the greater sort of New York tri-state area, right, Jersey, New York, Connecticut, um, we were growing, we've just hired, um, growing our team. I really actually found that I enjoy that tremendously. I, I love working with great people. I love being, you know, feeling like if I can be a part of helping them to succeed, um, that really gives me immense uh, satisfaction. Um, you know, a little bit of momentum is starting to feel good, right? As more and more things happen and you're not, don't feel like you're starting from scratch every time. That's pretty nice. Um, but we just want to, um, you know, do things, be busy, and be doing quality projects. Uh, more specifically, we've made some great inroads in Westchester. We want to keep that going. Um, we're trying to break into Long Island and have a project going through approvals, and um, it would be a really significant affordable housing development that's, that feels really good because it's in a community that really needs it. Um, New Jersey has been a tremendous place to do business, a very competitive environment. So I'm very much interested in doing more in New Jersey. Um, and Connecticut has been a tough place to get traction, uh, not because they're not welcome to it. And in fact, I did, did a couple projects there in earlier in my career, uh, but just because the 
you know, the economic growth there has not not, you know, kept up with what's happened in other parts of the region. Um, and that's been uh, challenging because it's a great place to do, you know, I find it a great place to build, it's a great communities. Um, so we'd like to find a way, a way to do something in Connecticut, that'd be fun. Um, well, I just, you know, gr continue to grow the team and, and keep them busy and, uh, you know, keep ourselves busy. And uh, we've got, you know, construction folks and management folks now entering the region. So, um, we got to keep them working and uh, yeah, just, you know, keep, try to try to be doing things that we want to be doing um, and working. And, you know, and I'm, I guess I'll, I will, as a point of personal um, privilege, I will say, um, just work, continue to work with people that we want to work with and that are enjoyable to work with um, and trying to really differentiate uh, those and, and, and keep working with the partners that we love to work with. And when I say partners, I mean our lawyers and architects, et cetera. Um, you know, that's one of the, I think the privileges, if you can get there, is to work with people that you, you like, that you're aligned with, you want to work with, and to sort of cut out, you know, the folks if, as much as you can that sort of don't, uh, don't spark joy to steal a term. <laughs> Especially when you're spending 10 hours a day with, with your partners and the people you work with. Yes, yeah. exactly. Or sitting in a, in a planning board meeting, waiting your turn until right. 11 o'clock at night. Um, <laughs> you're working with people you really can trust and like. Um, it's, a, it's one of those things I think that you don't have that luxury when you're starting out and don't even necessarily know to think about. And for me, it's become more and more important. Hmm. Well, John, I, I can safely say, I mean, for anyone, you know, who, who will be listening to this now or in the future, you, you've obviously, and I've told you this, you've been a big help to me, um, the basic skills that we've gone over, right? Like the patience, the resilience, the due diligence, the partnerships, um, and just what I've been doing on, on the side. And uh, you've been nothing but very just gracious with your time, right? I mean, you, we all have a certain amount of time in the day. You're, you're always open to, you know, give information and help people along the way. I think that's not just a, a professional thing. I think that's a community thing for you as well. Um, so I just want to say thank you. Thanks for jumping on. Uh, and I'd love for people to know where they can learn more about you or NRP and the growth of the company. Oh, gosh. Um, just <laughs> nrpgroup.com. And, um, you know, as, as we're in these sort of higher profile markets, we are attracting, you know, some press. Um, mostly good, mostly positive, not necessarily something we seek, um, but it, you know, it helps to, you know, be known when, when, when you're trying to do business, especially in these competitive markets. So mm -hmm. yeah, sort of more and more coming out about the company, which I think is a good thing. Good. Um, but mostly we're trying to let our deeds, um, you know, and our projects speak for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, they definitely do. I appreciate it. And I really, exactly. That's a very, that's all very generous for you to say. And, um, yeah, I, I love the, what we do and when there's opportunities to, you know, be of some um, usefulness, if you will, especially young folks, younger folks, not them, you know, anybody, but anybody, <laughs> any, anybody of any age, you know, trying to do good things in the industry. Um, you know, that's a worthwhile um, use of time. And um, folks, you know, people did it for me and I'm a strong believer in, you know, you should pay it forward. So I'm excited to see what, uh, what Irvington brings. We'll have to talk about that, but yeah. I think, Thank you very much for signing on and uh, of course. look forward to speaking with you in the future, John. It's a real pleasure um, seeing you, Zach, talking to you, meeting you, Jesse and Nate. Um, appreciate it. Likewise. Awesome. Thanks for joining Take us. Care. Absolutely. Okay. Talk to you. Take care. Have a good one.
And that is today's episode. If any of you current and future investors want us to talk about any specific real estate topics you're interested in or to ask us questions like, Jesse, how do you get your hair to stay so perfect? Nate, what's your favorite shaving cream? Feel free to email us directly at carriedinterestpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, that's carriedinterestpodcast at gmail.com. I'm telling you, the Google sponsorship is well on its way. Please tune in next time for more real estate knowledge. Thanks for listening to Carried Interest. Peace out and go build some equity.